And so they, they kind of checked off a lot of the boxes I, as I talked through talked it through with all the leadership. Welcome to Portfolio Pulse, the money podcast for medical professionals and entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Stephen Husky, owner of Husky Financial Consulting and Wealth Management. Our goal is to help leaders accumulate wealth and empower them to build the life they deserve. Each week, we interview a purpose-driven leader or medical professional that is building a thriving business with community impact. We ask tough questions, learn the habits they practice to build successful careers, and discover a secret they can pass on to help others build their businesses. It's time to talk money, meaning, and maximum impact. Hello and welcome to Portfolio Pulse, the money podcast for medical professionals and entrepreneurs aimed at reaching those interested in healthcare, education around all things finance and business ownership. I am your esteemed guest, Stephen Husky, certified exit planner and owner of Husky Financial Group and Blue Water Dental Advisors, LLC. And I have today's guest is Dr. Jay Shaw. He is the chief medical officer of Octia, and he is a seasoned physician leader with over 15 years of progressive and diverse experiences in the medical field and is currently helping Actia improve hypertension diagnosis, monitoring, and treatment as the chief medical officer. Jay, pleasure to have you on, man. Thank you so much for having me, Steve. It's great to be here. Absolutely, man. Well, we had a brief conversation before we started recording, and you have a very interesting history in your in your profession. Um, I'd love for you to tell the audience a little bit about yourself, how you got started in medicine, and what led you to join this startup. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I think uh, the pathways in, in medicine start pretty pretty early on because of the sort of training and length of training. And so probably like a lot of physicians, um, I, I was interested in it in, in medical uh, in college and, and um, even high school. Uh, just I had family members or other people I'd seen who were in the, in the uh, medical profession. And I like science and I like the idea of, of kind of, you know, having a longitudinal you know, uh, experience with patients and kind of caring them, caring for them over a long period of time. And so that led me through medical school and then into residency. But medical school was uh, really in a city general hospital in Kansas City. And it was a great experience for a medical student because they were so resource poor that like, you really got to do almost everything in the hospital. And, um, you know, assisting in surgery to taking care of people in the ER. And it was a great place to be a medical student. I did my residency um, at Massachusetts General Hospital in, in medicine, internal medicine. And that really opened my eyes to all the different things that people were doing in medicine because my co-residents were just these amazing leaders. And, and here I was coming from sort of City General Hospital clinically focused. And my co-residents and oftentimes the people I was supervising were maybe a decade older and had been running an NGO in Africa for five years or come from the White House after a White House fellowship or, you know, knew they were going to go to McKinsey to do healthcare consulting or Novartis to do to to do drug development. And it was just to just open my world in, in medicine. And so it was a great experience. And um, not the least because uh, that's where I met my wife. <laughs> of course, so that's probably the biggest thing that happened there. So, and then we went through uh, cardiology training in St. Louis at Washington University, which is a great, uh, amazing place to train as a clinical physician. Um, and then I did something kind of after training, I was trying to figure out what to do. And uh, it was a kind of a tough job market. This was back in 2012. So before the Affordable Care Act, really took effect and just shortly after the Great Recession. So it was kind of a tough time to find two physician jobs at the same place, same time. And it ended up, I got this opportunity in Portland, Oregon. And so we wanted to try the West Coast and we went out there and 
you know, I started a practice from scratch, which a lot of my mentors were, were like looking at me funny because that's not something typically people do these days uh, out of training. And so I started, you know, two EKG machines and a medical assistant and started to build a, uh, a business, a cardiology service line. And, you know, it, it took a lot of hard work, but after seven or eight years, we had this very busy, thriving cardiology service line um, right in the middle of metropolitan Portland. And, and we were successful uh, despite being like a small player in the middle of four large healthcare organizations. And, and so it really taught me a lot about sort of how to build successful medical businesses and, and, you know, doing everything from, you know, outside of the clinical care, uh, doing everything from stocking uh, supplies and knowing power levels to doing contractual agreements with, you know, um, medical equipment, real estate transactions, um, and then sort of managing the overall practice as we grew. So uh, it was really a, a tremendous learning experience, uh, both in uh, as a physician um, mm -hmm. after training, but as a, as a, also as a as a business person. And then I had an opportunity to go to the Mayo Clinic and kind of um, start a, a, a high level complex practice in aortic aneurysms, and so. Uh, I took that opportunity and so for the last four years practice, three and a half years practice at Mayo Clinic, which was great. Um, and it was really interesting clinical work. Um, but at the same time, I had been in medicine at this point now for over a decade and started to feel like I was, you know, I knew how to do high level complex cardiology care fairly in a very I won't say easy way, but I knew what to do. I was sort of, you become an expert. And it was routine at that point. And it becomes routine. It becomes your day. And even though it's sort of really complex and, and high level and interesting in certain ways, it had become routine and I felt stagnant. So I started looking for, uh, you know, different ways to, to grow. And, and it was a, it was a really, it was an interesting process. It was a process. It took me 18 months of like exploratory interviews, talking to you know, really hundreds of doctors doing things in other industries and honestly crossing things off, you know, taking things off the list um, was actually the most helpful exercise that that I went through. And in the end, I, I kind of narrowed it down to small companies or startups and uh, found a, a perfect role as this chief medical officer uh, for this company, Actia, which was looking for a cardiologist with kind of my background. So kind of worked out, um, but it was a fairly long journey. And I've loved my two years at Actia and I've learned just so much in so many different ways. So that's my you're story. The, you're the perfect person to, to interview because you not only have the you know physician uh, stewardship and you have the, the knowledge of the cardiology and, you know, but you also built a business around that. I'm, and then you were able to secure a position with Mayo Clinic, which I assume that you're still doing. I just well left the Mayo as, Clinic yeah. uh, just you? because I went full time with uh, my startup, and so I've had to leave Mayo Clinic. And and um, but okay. uh, I'm I'm still practicing now in a in a very smart part time way. There you go. And then and then you got called up to to lead this startup company, Actia. I mean, they were looking for your exact credentials. You had the experience. Um, you were the guy to, to to implement into that position and really help it run. And you had that business since. So. Tell us more about Actia. How did you find them? How did they find you? What's so special about them? What makes them unique? And what are they trying to do in the world? So, I mean, we found each other, honestly, I didn't know them personally. They didn't know me. It was just found each other on LinkedIn. But I think that 
it was an interesting search as I kind of alluded to this sort of long exploratory pathway and many, many applications and searches and, um, you know, looking for the right fit. Um, and they came up on LinkedIn as a job posting and I, you know, immediately sort of put in my uh, application and, um, but, and they went through the process fairly quickly. So it was, it was just by chance more than anything else. Like, yes, I fit their credentials and, and what they were looking for. But at the same time on my end, I, I had to sort of make a judgment of, you know, is this a company that I would be willing to leave my sort of my expertise, practice, comfort zone, you know, Mayo Clinic job, all these things. Uh, is this something that I'd be willing to leave that for? And and really the, the first thing that my barometer is always like, who am I going to be working with? Are these great people? Uh, how do they treat each other? How do they treat, you know, their employees? Um, what are they trying to do? Is this a mission-driven company or is this a company that's purely driven by uh, revenue or, or profits? And so they they kind of checked off a lot of the boxes I, as I talked through talked it through with all the leadership. You know, their real focus they have a technological innovation uh, around sort of a continuous blood pressure monitor, which is a, a real novel thing and doesn't exist uh, outside of what they've been doing. And so they really want to take that technology and and give people around the world access to it and really revolutionize the way we look at, manage, and optimize blood pressure and hypertension. So it really resonated with me very well after a decade of taking care of people who had only come to see me because they had some problem because largely they had uncontrolled high blood pressure for long periods of time. So it was a very, um, you know, sort of brought it back to something that I'd been doing for such a long time. And that's what, that's what resonated with me in addition to the people and the team itself. And the business has been around for how long? The business is not that uh, old. It's about five years old. The founders have been working on this technology for almost 20 years, but then it got spun out into an actual business about five years ago. And we we're in now in nine markets uh, across the EU and UK, and we've got you know pretty good traction and got 50,000 users. Our revenue's going to almost 250x, 250 uh, percent growth in the last year or so. So wow. it's, it's going well. And, um, you know, but it's a small company at the, at sort of at the win, whims and wins of the market and the macroeconomic conditions. And, um, and it, when you're playing in the regulated medical device space, um, you're, it requires a lot of intense capital and, um, and investor patience and, and work. So obviously there are challenges, <laughs> No shortage of challenges, but but that's what makes it fun and interesting. I love that. Thank you so much. Well, what are some of the lessons that practice owners or physicians or even entrepreneurs can learn from maybe some of the mistakes that has made along the way, some of the highlights that you guys have been able to accomplish, whether that's getting investor money or you know getting into new markets? Share some of the successes and, and, and trials and tribulations that you've experienced. Well, I'll start also from before Actia, just in my in my own practice ownership experience, like, a, a, you know, one of the one of the I'll say, I guess it was a mistake, or at least it was not the right type of thinking. You know, when I started my practice in Oregon, you know, and I put in all that work that it takes to build a practice and everyone who's run a business, uh, especially small business and healthcare understands how difficult it is. And, and if you have success and if you really built it up over time, you know, one of the, when I started, one of the key factors that I 
didn't realize was the value that I was creating in that business. And just understanding that what that all that work and that value isn't just the revenue that comes in at the end of the year or your paycheck every month or what you take home. There is a significant value in building that business that as a as a physician owner operator or practice owner operator, you you need to share directly in and you should have a majority stake in um, because you are do, the one doing the work. You are the one creating that value. And I think that's that's oftentimes lost on, especially when you first start it. You know, it's just not something I ever thought of because I didn't even know how successful it would be. And I, I just didn't just didn't know, couldn't think through uh, five, seven years ahead. Um, but looking back on it, that's something that I, I could have done differently. Um, and then, you know, I think the other thing is to understand the, you know, in the to, to kind of draw the line of, of, of this transition between owner operator in the clinical world to entrepreneurial world in an industry that's sort of medical related. Um, one of the key things that I always sort of try to remind people of is that all that work that you've done in clinical space and that, you know, business, uh, medical business and practice world is highly translatable into other, other fields. But most physicians don't realize that because we think of ourselves as clinicians. We don't, we don't sort of uh, express it in the same way that a business person would. We don't express our skill sets in the same way. And all it takes are some some people to help you reframe your uh, innate abilities and skill sets and what you've done and experiences and turn it into case studies and um, in real business experience that is translatable to uh, you know sort of the industry and business world. But you've done that hard work and it just takes some reframing of, of your, of your uh, history and skill set. So taking what you've learned, express it in a way that allows you to teach others. And then also that's one of the things that I think I got from what you're saying, as well as, you know, don't squeeze the toothpaste out of the tube. It's very hard to get it back in, in terms of equity when it comes to a business. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. And you have to kind of know that beforehand. And when you start, because otherwise, you know, you're, it's easy to be, you know, cut out basically. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, great lesson learned there. And and I hope that, you know, maybe when you came into Actia, maybe they were able to give you some, some equity. Oh, yeah. Talk about that right now, but I hope, <laughs> I hope that they did. Uh, well, you know, this is a money podcast and you've had sure. various dealings with money. I'd love to know, like, what is your relationship with money? How do you see it? How do you use it? And what are some things you've done to grow it? So I'll start with uh, probably the most important, which is how do I see it and what do I, how, to me, and this is, I guess, intensely personal, but to me, the primary purpose of money is just, um, is, is freedom and liberty, you know, not in the, not in the patriotic, patriotic sense, but in the sense of um, it, if you are able to build multiple income streams, passive, hopefully some of which are can be passive um, and have multiple lines in the water, then eventually people should be able to just do what they want to do and not work for money. I think that is one of the biggest downsides, especially in medicine, is that it's such a, there's a high salaries generally, relatively guaranteed, not guaranteed, but relatively secure income stream. 
but it ties people's people's mentality to that job to get the income that gives them security. But it should be the opposite. You should be doing what you want because you like to do it and it yeah. just happens to pay you well, but you don't need to be dependent on that for security in terms of, you know, housing, food and shelter for your for you and your family. So the only realistic way to do that in my experience is to build multiple streams of income and diversify how that income comes in and um, and then hopefully that it'll allow you to do what you want to do in and around medicine, um, but on your terms, on no one else's terms, on your terms. The way where people get burned out, physicians especially, get burned out and get held because they're fixed with golden handcuffs to some job that they may really intensely dislike. Um, or they may say, I would love to cut it this, cut this down to two days a week instead of five days a week and not take call, but I can't because I have, I'm tied to this income. Well, you can do those things if you have other independent streams of income. And so really doing the work to build those income streams up with people like yourself and just really being proactive about that from the beginning and the earlier you start doing that, the better, um, you know, just from a compounding standpoint. So that's really how I look at money and, and what, and I don't, I don't have a number. Some people talk about numbers. I don't, I don't really think that's important. Actually, I think what's more important is whatever number you have, are you living the life that suits you and is really fulfilling to you and allowing you to do what you want to do with the people you want to do it with? Well, that's all that really matters. Um, and, and, and one of the things that I've learned in this transition from going from clinical work to this industry work, my salary went down dramatically, probably. Yeah went down by 60% going from Mayo Clinic to the startup. That's, that's scary. And it's scary. Yeah. But one of the things that, that I got back that I knew what it was, but I didn't understand how valuable it was, was time. I got back so much time and flexibility in this transition that if I'm working in a hospital-based job where I'm on call and doing weekends and doing nights and doing this and that, you're giving away the most valuable commodity that we all have, and that's your time. And so how I always think about it and tell my friends and at least who ask, it has to be worth it to me to walk out the door away from my family and go do that job in some, and I have to figure out how much is that worth to me? What is the quantified, quantifiable number that, that is worth going out and doing that work? And it has to be clear in my mind. And so I said, okay, is this weekend worth the $2,000 that I'm going to be making by doing this to be away from my children, my family, away from doing all the other stuff that I want to do, or is it not worth it? And if it is worth it, fine. If it's not worth it, then you know. Um, but time is the most valuable commodity. That's the other thing I've learned, which we all know, but it's hard to make that a reality in your life. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um... There's a lot of great things in what you just said, and and there's a theoretically there's an infinite amount of money out there, but there's a finite number of minutes that we can spend on this yeah. earth, you know, doing what we want to do, dealing with family, living, you know, making memories with them. Um, but also, you said some very important things. Is when you first start in this in this industry or in this business, it's important that you're smart with the decisions you make around money, saving up enough so that you have the opportunity to be able to get into some passive streams of income, whether that's owning real estate, if it's mm -hmm. owning 
businesses in a limited or a general respect. Um, it's it's having investments that provide you with income that you can then count on. You know, those are the things that allow you to decide and be actually more choosy with any right. position that you might want to take in the clinician world. Exactly. That's a very, very important piece. And that's not blanket advice for everybody. It might not work for everyone. People like no. you know, the, the, they might want the W-2s and 1099s coming their way, and that's fine. Yeah. But you have to put yourself in a position to be able to have more options. And I always say the person with the most options wins because yeah. you don't ha- you don't have to cater to someone else. You can actually live the life exactly. that you deserve. Yeah. And the one thing you, you mentioned there that that also is, I think, uh, highly underappreciated by physicians who are working in practices is how they're paid, not the n- amount, but how. And mm-hmm. and so this gets to the independence of, uh, you know, of 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 a physician practice and how important that can be. And so what you said is like, if somebody is paid as a, as a contractor, if you set up your own professional LLC and you're paid as a contractor providing services, there are so many more dramatically powerful tax benefits that you can take advantage of versus if you're paid as a W-2. And what generally, in my experience, even when I would manage the practice with 110 docs, a lot of them didn't understand this is that they would look at just the top line number and, and they would say, well, I want a raise and I want $50,000 more. And, uh, but they're being paid as W-2 employees, which means generally you're only keeping 60% of whatever that number is. But if you're paid in a 1099 fashion and you've set up a, you know, PLLC or something, you can really start taking advantages of being your own small business owner. And, and really, even if you make 30% less than your W-2 income, you might actually be making more, uh, more dollars that you keep in your pocket, which is such a such an important lesson that I've learned over the last, let's say, 10 years. And so that's really, I've tried to change that as much as I can. And it's difficult, uh, actually, but but I've tried to change that as much as I can so that that more of my clinical work is coming in as 1099 income in an LLC that I operate and own. Absolutely. And, and people might scoff at that because you know they want employer provided benefits or retirement or whatever but yet small business ownership is the single largest tax deduction machine you could possibly own i totally agree with that right yeah Um, so many different more things you can do have a good cpa have a good advisor have have good friends who can kind of tell you what to do but i totally agree with that sentiment a very important piece thank you so much for sharing man so what have you learned about small business and what have you learned about planning that has really worked well for you and how you've structured your own either portfolio or your own life? So I think, you know, continuing with this theme of being, you know, an independent operator, and you're right about the the, the benefits, primarily insurance, health insurance, like that's the biggest one that comes up. But if you can secure that in some regard, either through your own, through the marketplace or through your spouse or through some, some other mechanism, um, Really having multiple sort of operate uh, um, initiatives going on is how I've structured it. So I have things that are that I've taken from years ago uh, when I when I was just doing great in my practice and making enough money and started putting you know investments in that were long term investments, but lots of them. And some of them may hit really big. Some of them may be modest. Some of them might be lost. But having a spread of diversification, but not in the traditional sense, but you, you want diversification of risk as well as right. diversification of asset class. So some really high risk stuff, small portion of it, um, versus and some that is just general like 
income stream from dividends and interest and everything in between and so really kind of putting to putting in place over years of learning and trying and putting in place sort of a portfolio of assets uh, that are from real estate actual real estate doors uh, real estate debt actually can be quite um, quite steady income uh, land deals for example as well as um, angel investing in in equity and startup companies so that's on the high risk side <laughs> and then investments yeah uh, and then the the standard stuff you know you got your ETFs and mutual funds and stocks and and bonds and those kind of things um but putting it in place like a, a a sort of a more comprehensive strategy that in the end after 5 or 10 years the passive income that gets kicked out from dividends and interest and real estate debt and building a ladder of real estate deals that come to fruition on a routine basis, that starts to basically allow you to then transition out of clinical work or minimize your clinical time or change entirely what kind of work you're doing or try something totally different or go back to school or, you know, do whatever you want to do, open a coffee shop. I mean, it, it doesn't matter. It's just whatever, whatever is you're passionate about, but that's only possible by taking your clinical practice, the money you make from that, and then reinvesting it in several ways, in different ways, um, and sort of being smart about that, um, you know, initially. And it's all about time is is the real key there. Um, so doing it earlier is always better. Agreed. Agreed. What is it that you'd like our listeners to know about you, Jay, um, Actia, and any upcoming events or promotions or or really anything you want to push out there about what you're doing? Sure. So, I mean, I think in terms of, um, you know, given the sort of perspective on your audience, like one of the things that I've, I've, I've thought about for some time is now having done really clinical work, building practices, ownership, doing all these different types of investment and making this transition into sort of a different role in industry, medical role, I have all this experience and I have, I have colleagues around me who are coming together to form a group, basically, to help physicians you know, go down this road, how to reframe their own thoughts of their skill set, maybe some coaching to try to focus them, focus us on what what is what are they're really passionate about, and then building them a sort of a very much more industry facing professional bio resume interact that's interactive. And then actually, I have a great friend who's part of my part of this new business venture who we're going to um, actually do search firms. You know, she's 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 a executive search firm of great notoriety and has really 25 years of experience. And so we help people match them to jobs that already exist in industry. So kind of taking them through this entire spectrum and really helping guide them into the next phase of their career where they can be passionate about. And if anyone's interested, that's really what I'm I'm going for next. Um, in addition to working with Actia, but but this is an sort of another um, another adventure that I'm. Uh, we're just starting. Would you care to elaborate more on this on a search firm, and I can kind of highlight that as well? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that has always struck me is that you know there's all kind ten of, percent of the physician workforce left clinical medicine last year. Before yeah. the year before that, there's another ten percent, and they're not really being replaced. So there's tons of people like me that are out there who are leaving, contemplating leaving, have left, but then are not really sure where to go. Mm-hmm. And there are so there there are, there's a lot of cottage industries that have popped up around this, mostly around coaching and, and sort of resume rewriting. But that only goes maybe a third of the way to getting you a, an actual job doing something else. 
So what we're planning on doing is, yes, we'll have sort of an in, intake onboarding assessment, um, a coaching aspect of it uh, from a certified physician coach. So this is a physician who has done this, and she's also a certified coach, really helping people focus and do that exercise that I talked about of crossing things off, focus their their mind and their uh, on the opportunities that make the most sense to them. And then creating a bio and resume, not just tradi traditional PDF bios and resume, although we'll do that too, but an interactive website that really highlights what they can do and their skill set in a much more, uh, you know, compelling way. Sure. And then even after we do all that, we have the search part of it where we interact with industries, healthcare delivery systems, pharma, CRO, med device, um, and startups. We interact with them. We understand, uh, again, using our uh, my colleague who's a sort of executive search expert, understand what they're looking for. And now that we have a repository of physicians who we've vetted, understand, and built their sort of focus, their bios, we can take them all the way through a search process and matching them with the right company and the right job that they want, that they're going to feel passionate about. And then, of course, that the company itself is, is looking for. That doesn't exist right now. There's a huge gap for physicians between creating, you know, resumes and coaching and actually finding the job. And most search firms, 99% of them are working for the client, meaning the company, not the candidates or the people. Well, we're going to bridge that gap. That's what, that's what we're working on. That's super interesting. If anybody wants to find out about this search firm, how can they do it? Yeah, just contact me directly. So uh, we've Perfect. just done uh, on LinkedIn, just look me up and uh, and just ping me there. And then and we can we'll set up a call. I will add your LinkedIn to the liner notes of this episode. Yeah. Please get in touch with Jay. He's got a compelling um, structure for search firms of, you know, bridging that gap in between, you know, the recruiters and the headhunters and then actually finding the right job for you working for you specifically instead of the company. That's a that's a big win. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jay. Is there anything that you want to leave with us in regards to the purpose that you're trying to portray and the legacy that you want to leave in your community? What's that lasting impact? I mean, I think that, you know, for me, I think the main thing is just um, bringing as much uh, joy and love to the people around me. And whether that's my family or my friends or the patients that I see or the people I work with in business that's what really makes me feel fulfilled at the end of the day. Um, and whenever I've approached it with that attitude and with that sort of mindset, um, it's always been successful financially and otherwise. So that's always my approach, knowing that if I do it this way, then, that's, then it'll be successful in the way that I want it to. So that's it. I love Pretty that. straightforward. I think all the things you're doing, you know, with uh multiple businesses, um, the the nuggets of wisdom you've shared today. Uh, those are some great things that you can help educate more physicians who want to kind of live the lifestyle that you are and who think it can't be a possibility, but could start anytime and get going on it. Absolutely. Got it. Um, Dr. Jay Shaw, everybody, appreciate you and your time and have a wonderful rest of your week. Thanks very much. Appreciate your time, Steve. Thanks for joining us today on Portfolio Pulse. If you found this helpful and think others deserve to hear about us as well, please like, subscribe, and share us across any platform on social media or your podcast platform of choice. That's it for today. Remember to be happy, stay healthy, and tune in next time to remain financially fit.
This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PASS, Guardian, or Husky Financial Group, LLC, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian and its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Michael Husky is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Security. LLC, Pass, OSJ 6115 Park South Drive, Suite 200, Charlotte, North Carolina 28210, 704-552-8507. Securities products and advisory services offered through Pass, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Pass is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Husky Financial Group LLC is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Pass or Guardian. Husky Financial Group LLC is not registered in any state or with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission as a registered investment advisor. 2023-159-772. Expires 8-2025. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PASS, Guardian, or Husky Financial Group, LLC, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian and its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Michael Husky is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Security. LLC, Pass, OSJ 6115 Park South Drive, Suite 200, Charlotte, North Carolina 28210, 704-552-8507. Securities products and advisory services offered through Pass, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Pass is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Husky Financial Group LLC is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Pass or Guardian. Husky Financial Group LLC is not registered in any state or with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission as a registered investment advisor. 2023-159-772. Expires 8-2025.